Nichols v. Swindoll, 2023, ARC 97. The Arkansas Supreme Court affirmed a circuit court order dismissing a complaint against two attorneys in a claim of negligence in concluding there were insufficient factual allegations to demonstrate fraudulent concealment to toll the statute of limitations. There was a split in the Supreme Court because three justices dissented and opined attorneys have a duty to disclose potential negligence to their clients. Justice Baker wrote, Allegations below, quote, On September 21, 2017, her attorneys filed her personal injury complaint against John Doe's in the Baxter County Circuit Court. According to Nichols, the attorneys were aware that they had until January 19, 2018, which was 120 days from the filing of the complaint, to serve the lawsuit or request an extension of service. The attorneys failed to accomplish service or request an extension, and as a result, the statute of limitations period for the personal injury claim expired. It is Nichols's position that although her personal injury claim was barred by the statute of limitations, her attorneys continued her litigation despite knowing it was useless. On March 31, 2021, Swindle filed his motion to dismiss, and on April 16, 2021, he filed his motion to dismiss the amended complaint. Swindle argued that the malpractice claim was barred by the statute of limitations. Swindle asserted that Nichols's accident occurred on November 23, 2014, and therefore the three-year statute of limitations period for her personal injury claims expired on November 23, 2017. Therefore, Swindle argued that Nichols was required to bring her legal malpractice claim on or before November 23, 2020. As to Nichols's assertion of fraudulent concealment, Swindle contended that Nichols asserted conclusory and insufficient allegations to toll the three-year statute of limitations period for the malpractice claim against Swindle. He contended that the February 2021 malpractice complaint was therefore time-barred by the statute of limitations and should be dismissed. Swindle moved for dismissal pursuant to Rule 12b-6 of the Arkansas Rules of Civil Procedure for failure to state a claim upon which relief can be granted. On April 2, 2021, Gibson filed a motion to dismiss asserting similar grounds. During a May 21, 2021 hearing, the circuit court examined portions of the amended complaint and noted that it had not seen a specific date on which Nichols alleged that the attorneys had taken any action to conceal the expiration of the limitations period. In reading portions of the complaint, the circuit court commented that Nichols alleged conclusions but did not cite any facts. The circuit court remarked that there is nothing to suggest that any of the attorney's filings after January 2018, the last time the statute of limitations could have run, were intended to deceive Nichols. In closing, the circuit court granted the motion to dismiss based on the statute of limitations. On June 7, 2021, the circuit court entered its written order granting the attorney's motion to dismiss and dismissing Nichols' malpractice complaint with prejudice. The circuit court found that Nichols' claim for malpractice against her attorneys are barred by the three-year legal malpractice statute of limitations. Even if the pr proposed date for the attorney's malpractice is applied, January 19, 2018, 
the three-year limitations period expired more than one month before she filed her February 2021 malpractice complaint. The circuit court further found that there were no facts in Nichols's complaint or amended complaint sufficient to toll the running of the statute of limitations based on fraudulent concealment. Specifically, the circuit court found that there were no facts stated showing the elements of fraud and there were no facts stated showing that the alleged fraud was furtively planned and secretively executed. Point on Appeal On appeal, Nichols argues that the circuit court abused its discretion in granting the attorney's motion to dismiss and finding that there were no facts contained in the complaint sufficient to toll the running of the statute of limitations based on fraudulent concealment. She contends, as she did below, that her attorneys fraudulently concealed their malpractice and therefore prevented her from learning that they had committed malpractice until March 2020. Nichols also asserts that her attorneys had a duty to speak rather than to remain silent with respect to their malpractice. Stated differently, it is Nichols's position that, because of the attorney's fraudulent concealment, the statute of limitations was told until March 2020, the date that she was informed of the malpractice. According to Nichols, she had three years from March 2020 to bring her malpractice lawsuit against her attorneys. She therefore contends that she timely filed her malpractice complaint on February 22, 2021. End of quote. The majority opinion noted the standard of review on a dismissal under Arkansas Rule of Civil Procedure 12b-6 is whether there was an abuse of discretion and that once it appears on the face of a complaint that an action is time-barred, the burden shifts to the plaintiff to show by a preponderance of the evidence that the limitations period was told. A statute of limitations, even if told, begins to run once it is or should have been discovered. The opinion set out the five elements required for fraud and explained that an allegation of fraud standing alone is insufficient, but it must be concealed to toll the limitations period. Quote, Fraudulent concealment consists of some positive act of fraud, something so furtively planned and secretly executed as to keep the plaintiff's cause of action concealed or perpetrated in a way that conceals itself. Treating the facts alleged in the complaint as true, Nichols has failed to sufficiently plead fraudulent concealment. As set forth above, to sustain an action for fraud, one must plead the five elements of fraud. The first element is a false representation of material fact. Here, we cannot say that Nichols has sufficiently pleaded that the attorneys made a false representation of material fact. The absence of any one element of fraud is a sufficient basis for the circuit court to dismiss a claim of fraud. Further, even assuming that she did sufficiently plead the five elements of fraud, Nichols has failed to plead an act of fraud that was furtively planned and secretly executed by the attorneys. At set forth above, not only must there be fraud, but the fraud must be furtively planned and secretly executed so as to keep the fraud concealed. End of quote. The majority reasoned there was no factual pleading sufficient to show fraudulent concealment. Quote, Nichols has failed to plead fraudulent concealment. A close review of Nichols's complaint demonstrates that she failed to allege something so furtively planned and secretly executed as to keep the plaintiff's cause of action concealed or perpetrated in a way that conceals itself. Absent fraudulent concealment, 
the statute of limitations was not told until March 2020. Instead, it began to run on January 19, 2018, and expired three years later on January 19, 2021. On this basis, Nichols's February 2021 malpractice complaint was untimely filed. End of quote. The Court of Appeals previously granted a petition for rehearing and issued a substituted opinion in which it split with two dissents, 2022 ARC App 233 and Supplemental Opinion 2022 ARC App 399. Justice Womack dissented and was joined by Justices Wood and Webb, writing, quote, We have an opportunity to hold attorneys to the same standard as other fiduciary and confidential relationships. Yet we extend protection and favoritism to our own profession while rightly withholding it from others. I would hold that Rebecca Nichols pled sufficient facts to establish fraudulent concealment because silence amounts to a positive act of fraud when there is a confidential or fiduciary relationship. We have adopted rules of professional conduct that try to guard against the forewarned deception, namely that a lawyer may not withhold information to serve the lawyer's own interest or convenience or the interest or convenience of another person. What better example of this is there than a lawyer maintaining a futile lawsuit to run out the statute of limitations on a legal malpractice claim? Citing Arkansas Rule of Professional Conduct 1.4, Comment 7. End of quote. The dissenting opinion quoted Chief Judge Harrison's dissent in the Court of Appeals that surely a client is not required to maintain a double layer of lawyers to ensure that the fiduciary responsibilities of the primary lawyer are being honored, and is a third lawyer needed to ensure the second lawyer properly monitors the first one, and so on. The dissenting opinion concluded, quote, The majority has authored a playbook for attorneys to escape liability, cutting off innocent and unsuspecting suspects from any chance at compensation they may be due. I have no opinion on the merits of Nichols's malpractice claim. That is for a jury to decide. But because of today's decision, Nichols will never have that opportunity. End of quote. End of decision. In Williams v. Baptist Health, 2023, ARC 100, the Arkansas Supreme Court affirmed an attorney's fee award to a defendant hospital after it prevailed in a lawsuit by a physician who formerly practiced there. Justice Wood explained, quote, The court entered its order on April 14, 2022. Baptist Health defendants filed a motion for attorney's fees and cost on April 28. The motion cited an agreement signed by Dr. Williams when he first applied for medical staff privileges at Baptist Health. The agreement set out that Dr. Williams would reimburse Baptist Health and its representatives for attorney's fees if he brought a lawsuit that largely did not succeed. I agree that in the event I institute litigation against any Baptist Health facility and or representative and the relief and or damages I request in such litigation are not granted or substantially granted by final judgment of a court of competent jurisdiction, then I will reimburse the Baptist Health facility and all representatives who are defendants in such action for reasonable attorney's fees and other reasonable expenses incurred by them in the defense of such litigation. Dr. Williams objected to the fee request. He first argued that Baptist Health defendants' request was untimely. 
he contended they should have moved for fees when the circuit court dismissed his sole claim that went to a bench trial in April 2017, rather than waiting until a final judgment after remand following his appeal. Dr. Williams also argued that Baptist Health violated its bylaws and breached its agreement with Dr. Williams, thus precluding the recovery of attorney's fees. Dr. Williams also requested that the court give him a chance to make adversary submissions. Yet Dr. Williams submitted no adversary evidence, such as depositions or affidavits, and never asked the circuit court for a hearing. End of quote. Following a fee award to the hospital of $465,240 and cost of $23,860, the unsuccessful plaintiff physician appealed. Timeliness The fee petition by the hospital was timely because it was filed within 14 days following the final decision that followed the earlier remand. Quote, The Rule 54 judgment was entered on April 12, 2022. This is when the circuit court fully resolved all claims in Baptist Health Defendant's favor after our remand in Williams 1. Because the motion for attorney's fees was filed on April 28, it fell within the 14-day period and was timely. End of quote. Bylaws Plaintiff argued the hospital did not comply with its bylaws in his termination, but this issue was already decided in favor of the hospital in the first appeal, so it had no import here. Quote, but in Williams 1, we rejected the argument that Baptist Health failed to follow its bylaws. We agree with the circuit court that the actions taken by Baptist Health appellees with respect to Dr. Williams's administrative review proceedings substantially complied with Baptist Health's bylaws and professional staff rules. This holding has become law of the case. It has preclusive effect both upon the circuit court on remand and upon an appellate court on subsequent review. We cannot revisit this ruling now. End of quote. Adversarial evidence. Next, the doctor argued he should have been allowed to submit adversarial evidence to the fee petition. Nothing stopped him from doing so, and he did not ask for a hearing, the opinion reasoned. Quote, Rule 54E cross-references Rule 43C and Rule 78, giving circuit courts the flexibility to handle the matter either by motion or with a hearing. 43C allows the court to consider both affidavits and deposition testimony when resolving a motion based on facts absent from the record. And Rule 78C discusses, in part, the circumstances in which the court may hold a hearing on a motion. Yet, if a hearing is not requested, a hearing will be deemed waived and the court may act upon the matter without further notice. It appears from Dr. Williams's brief that he thinks we should reverse and remand for the circuit court to reconsider his liability for attorney's fees, and then also allow him the chance to make adverse submissions about the reasonableness of Baptist Health's fee request, which he failed to do initially. Yet Baptist Health defendants filed a motion for attorney's fees with over 200 pages of supporting fee documentation. Dr. Williams's response did not seek a hearing or directly contest the itemized fee documentation. End of quote. End of decision.